Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter number 5. And we will be reading verses 1 through 11 of Luke 5. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry, but we will have the verses on the screen for you. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break, and they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both of the ships, so that they began to sink." When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Father, I'd ask that this morning you would add your blessing to the reading of the word. I pray that you would help me to teach clearly and accurately what this text has for us today. I pray that you would do in our hearts what you did in Peter's life that day. That you would cause us to recognize our sin and your holiness and and cause us to to forsake ourselves to follow you, to become fishers of men. I pray this for everyone in this room, myself included, God. Open our hearts to your word as as we study it and as we meditate on it this morning. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we begin a new chapter in Luke's Gospel. If you've been with us, we've been... Uh, working through the Gospel of Luke over the last several weeks, or I guess over the last few months now. Uh, and we've made it to chapter 5. And here we get our first uh, real look at the, the disciple, Peter. Uh, he's a well-known disciple. Everybody likes Peter. If you ask most people who's their favorite Bible character, a lot of them will say Peter. And I think the reason is uh, he makes us all feel better about ourselves because uh, Peter regularly is doing or saying something stupid in, in the New Testament. And so uh, this is no exception, of course. Peter um, Peter does say something rather dumb here in, in our own text. But last week we were introduced to Peter a little bit in passing. He was mentioned. Uh, but this morning we really get an in-depth look into uh, Jesus' first interaction with Peter, where he calls him into ministry. And this begins in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, It came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. The lake of Gennesaret is the Sea of Galilee. It's the same uh, body of water. It's also called the Lake of Tiberias. These are all just uh, regions or cities around the Sea of Galilee. And so it's the same body of water. Our text says the people were pressing upon Jesus, trying to hear him as he was teaching the word of God. And at this point in the ministry of Jesus, he had many followers. People, uh, wherever he went, just droves of people, crowds of people would come to hear Jesus teach. And at this particular occasion, the people were uh, pressing upon him. He was backing up, getting closer and closer to the water as people in the back of the crowd were trying to hear. Uh, they're pushing, trying to get closer. And eventually Jesus is at, is at the edge of the water. And so 
Uh, he says in verse 2, he's, he sees a sh- two ships standing by the lake. The fishermen are gone out of them, and they're washing their nets. Fishermen were done working for the day. They fished all night, and so they're cleaning their nets. And he enters into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he asked him that, that he would thrust him out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And so Jesus uses Peter's boat. Uh, Simon, the same name as Peter. I have a picture up here of a boat from the Sea of Galilee. This was dug up, I think, about 30, 40 years ago. Uh, it was discovered in the shores of Galilee. It's a first century boat. Now, this doesn't mean it's Peter's necessarily. A typical boat in Jesus' day. And so Jesus uh, decides to stand or, or sit in this boat and push out from the land a little bit so that he can teach the people. Uh, sort of an amphitheater as he's sitting on the water and the sound is reflecting off. He's able to teach this large crowd. Verse 4 says when he's uh, left speaking, as he's finished his teaching for the day, he says to Peter, to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. So Jesus finishes teaching. He turns to Peter and says, go out into the deep water and put down your nets to catch some fish. And in verse 5, Peter responds with an attitude. Uh, Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Uh, the command made no sense to Peter. Peter was a fisherman. He knew what he was doing. He knew you don't catch fish in deep water in the middle of the lake. You catch fish in the shallow parts. Uh, you don't catch fish in the middle of the morning. You catch fish at night. Uh, what in the world is Jesus doing here? Why is he telling them to go fish? Not to mention, they were already washing their nets. They had fished all night. Uh, this was their time to go sleep. And, and they had just finished preparing everything for the next day. They wanted to go home. And now Jesus is telling them to go back out there. Go back and, and let down your nets. Add to this the fact that Peter had been fishing all night and he's caught nothing. This was not a good day for fishing. And here Jesus is saying, no, go back out and put your nets back, back in the water. It's hard to trust God if you think you know what you're doing. Peter was a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. Uh, what is this guy telling me about how to fish? Peter knew how to fish. And he knew that this order from Jesus didn't make sense. But then at the end of his, his little speech, he says, Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. In other words, if you say so. Okay, Jesus, I, this doesn't make sense to me, but if you say so, uh, I'll go out and, and put this net down. Jesus had seen, or Peter had seen Jesus' power to heal his mother-in-law. We saw that last week. Uh, he had seen Jesus healing people of diseases, casting out demons, and so no doubt uh, he thought, you know, if Jesus told me to do this, it's probably worth a shot, even if it doesn't make sense. Verse 6 gives us the results of Peter's obedience. It says, when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. They had toiled all night and caught nothing. And then when Jesus tells them, go out in the middle of the lake, put your net down, uh, they catch so many fish that that they can't even contain it. They can't handle the amount of fish that they catch. They have to get their partners to bring another boat over. Their nets are breaking. The boats are beginning to sink. This is the uh, incredible, miraculous catch of fish. Now, we could stop right here, and and we could say, well, this text is about uh, obeying Christ, and then you reap this huge blessing, right? That that this this is all about uh, when Jesus tells you to do something, even if it doesn't make sense, go do it, and you'll experience God's blessing. And Peter certainly did this. He did what Jesus said. He received a blessing so big he couldn't even receive it. His ships were overflowing with fish. But I don't think that's the point of the story. I don't think the point of our text is just do what God says and and he'll make you prosperous. And the reason I don't think that's the point is because Peter doesn't even keep the fish. The end of our text, we'll see Peter leaves it all. He leaves his, his nets. He leaves his boats. He leaves the fish to follow Christ. And so I don't think the point is the fish. The point is Jesus. The miracle of the fish is 
is not the end goal. That's just where the story begins. Because the miraculous catch of fish was simply a means of getting through to Peter. And the point of this text is the transformation of Peter. He goes from being a fisherman to a ministry partner with Jesus. And this event in Peter's life was a tool Jesus used to get Peter to be what he was calling him to be. I want you to notice three responses of Peter at this miracle. When he sees the fish that they've caught, he sees their nets breaking and their, fi- uh, their ships sinking, this miraculous catch of fish. He has three responses. Notice in verse 8, Peter recognizes his sinfulness. It says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That seems like an odd response, doesn't it? He gets this huge catch of fish, and he's struck at his own sinfulness. But I think verse 9 gives us the reason for this. You notice verse 9 begins with the word for or because. So uh, what, what, what happens in verse 9 is the reason that he feels his sinfulness. So verse 9 says he was astonished. He was amazed. And all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. So uh, in verse 9, he's amazed. That, that makes sense. He sees this miraculous catch of fish, and he's shocked. He can't believe this. He knows that this was a miracle. This was no ordinary day. And so he's amazed, and he, he apparently recognizes something about who Jesus is, so much so that he feels his own sinfulness. He realizes, I'm not in the presence of a mere human. Uh, this is God. Th- this could only be the Son of God. And so that astonishment and that recognition of who Christ was led to an awareness of his sin. And then notice also his third response is fear. We see in verse 10, Jesus says to him, fear not, which implies that he was afraid. Peter goes from being amazed, which leads him to a recognition of sin, which leads him to fear. He's in the presence of a holy God, and, and he knows how sinful and broken he is. And this, this led to fear because of his sin. When you stand in the presence of God, the glory of God and his holiness causes you to feel the weight of your sin and leads you to fear. And we see this over and over in the scriptures. I think of Isaiah 6, when Isaiah sees God high and lifted up. Uh, he falls down and he says, woe is me, because I'm unclean. He, he doesn't feel worthy to be in the presence of God and he's scared. Uh, John, in, in Revelation 1, he sees Jesus in all his glory and he, it says, the text says he responds by falling at his feet as dead. When you understand that you're in the presence of a holy God that brings a heightened awareness of your sinfulness, And the product of that is fear. In other words, sin in the presence of the holy power of God produces fear. Jesus was seeing the glory of Jesus, and he was beginning to recognize who he was. Look at uh, Jesus' response in verse 10 to Peter's fear. It says, he says to him, uh, first of all, not only was Peter uh, astonished and amazed, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, also were, were partners with Simon. They were likewise amazed. Jesus says to Simon, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. So if you think the point of this miracle was, uh, yay, Peter, you get to have a bunch of fish. I think you missed it because this was not done so Peter could have a bunch of money. It was done so Peter would see clearly who Jesus was. And that understanding of who Christ was would cause him to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. This is not a story about how to get rich. It's a story of how to leave everything behind because Jesus is better. So I've entitled my message this morning, The Privilege of Losing Everything. I know that's an odd title, but I hope it'll make sense by the end. The privilege of losing everything. And we see this in verse 11, the the obedience of Peter. This is not like at the beginning of our text where he reluctantly obeys. Uh, He says to Jesus, you know, this doesn't make sense to me, but nevertheless, that's your word. If you say so, uh, I'll do this. No, this this is a joyful obedience. Jesus says to him, I want you to follow me. You'll be a fisher of men. And it says in verse 11, when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all. That means they left the ships, they left the nets, they left the fish, 
and they followed Jesus. They forsook their livelihood in order to follow Christ and become what he wanted them to be. Jesus promised them that they would become fishers of men. And after having the, big, the biggest success in their fishing history, uh, this was the best day of fishing they'd ever had, they left it all because they recognized how, much, uh, how superior Christ was. Peter leaves everything. He forsook it all and followed Jesus. Peter recognized how much more important the work Jesus had for him was than his current life. I don't think this was a hard decision. Peter saw Jesus for who he was, and he was uh, joyfully willing to give everything up, everything that was precious to him, to follow Christ. And as a Christian, this is, uh, this is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. We are called to give things up. Uh, we are called to surrender our lives, to deny ourselves, and, and take up the cross and follow Christ. But this shouldn't be a reluctant decision to let go of control of your life to God. Forsaking everything is not difficult if that which you're gaining is superior. I want to read for you one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Matthew 13, 44, where Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom of heaven. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. So Jesus says, A man finds a treasure in a field, apparently a very valuable treasure, and he hides it, he buries it back in the field, and he goes home and he sells everything. That's what you think about what that means. He sells all of his possessions, everything that he can, and he takes that money in order to buy the field and get that treasure. And that's a picture that Jesus is using of the Christian life. Jesus calls us, like he does to Peter, leave your nets, give up fishing, leave your life, and follow me. Let go of your dreams and live the life I'm calling you to. And that will require you to give up some things. I think a lot of people approach Christianity wanting to be a Christian without it costing them anything. We ask, uh, what's the bare minimum I have to do to make it to heaven? Instead of asking, how can I live my life in a way that is maximally glorifying to God? But Christ commands us to deny ourselves, to follow him. We're called to lose everything. And Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. But why should we? This might be a question you're asking. Why should I do that? Why should I uh, lose my life, give up my dreams in order to follow Christ? Think of a few reasons here. Number one, because Jesus did the same for us, right? He, we love him because he first loved us. We give up everything for him because he first gave up everything for us. This is exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, The love of Christ constraineth us, or compels us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. In other words, if Jesus died for us, we ought to live for him. We shouldn't live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. So, so number one, we should leave everything to follow Christ because that's exactly what he did for us. He, he, left, he even laid down his life for us. Secondly, a Christianity that costs you nothing likely means to us nothing. Does it cost you anything to follow Christ? I think of the story of the widow's might. You might be familiar with this, where Jesus and the disciples are in the temple, and they're watching people as they're giving their donations to the temple. And some people are bringing in large amounts of money, and other people, uh, poorer people, especially smaller amounts. And he sees a widow, a very poor lady, who gives uh, the equivalent of two little pennies, just throws two pennies, and that's all she has, Jesus says. And Jesus points her out and says she gave more than all the other people. Because true worship is not measured by what you give, but what you hold back. True worship is costly. 
So number one, we ought to let go of everything to follow Jesus because that's what he did for us. Number two, a Christianity that costs us nothing will likely mean to us nothing. And thirdly, we should be willing to let go of everything to follow Christ because Jesus is better than everything we have. Jesus was not asking Peter to leave his good life for an inferior one. He was calling him to leave behind his current life and live a life of superior joy and fulfillment. You look back at Matthew 13, where it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. He doesn't reluctantly go home and sell his possessions. It says he does it joyfully. Uh, what causes somebody to do that? What would cause a sane person with a huge smile on his face uh, to go home, sell his house, sell his cars, sell his possessions, clear out his bank accounts? Uh, why would somebody do something like this? The only way that this makes sense is if that field contains a treasure that is far more valuable and precious than the sum of everything he had to begin with. Does that make sense? And this is what, what, what Jesus is calling Peter to. Becoming a Christian is not yielding your life to Christ reluctantly and thinking, man, I, I'm really sacrificing for Jesus. No, living the life God has called you to is a treasure worth giving up everything else to gain. It's giving up dirt for diamonds. The choice is yours. You can go on fishing and living your way, or you can allow the Lord to direct your steps and become a fisher of men. Matthew 4 gives a, the same account of this calling in a different gospel where Jesus says to Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Fishing for men is part of what it means to follow Jesus. We're called to go out into the world and make disciples. And I've heard one preacher say one time that if you say you're a Christian, and yet you're not making disciples, I'm not sure what you mean. Because that's part of it. That's part of what it means to follow Christ, is that you are reaching other people with the gospel. We are called to preach the gospel of Jesus to teach others how they can be a follower of Christ. There's nothing wrong with fishing. Uh, fishing might be fun sometimes, but how much more fulfilling is a life of eternal significance? Not just making a living, but changing lives. And what Peter gives up pales in comparison to what he gains. I don't think Peter is looking back on his life and thinking, I should have kept fishing. I had a great catch that day. I should have brought those to the market. No, I don't think he regrets his decision to leave it and follow Christ. Paul says in Philippians, as he looks back on all that he had given up for Christ, he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul did not miss his life prior to conversion. When he looks back on everything that he sacrificed, everything he let go for Jesus, he says, I count that but dung compared to what I get in Christ. Uh, that's meaningless, that's worthless to me now. Living for Christ is, and following him is the only way to live a life of lasting significance. Losing everything, in other words, is a privilege if what you gain in exchange is Jesus. I'm going to use a story to illustrate this. In the 1950s, a man from Portland, Oregon, named Jim Elliott, you may have heard of him, went along with some friends to Ecuador to preach the gospel to the natives in the jungle there. These are a very dangerous tribe 
uh, that were known for killing any outsiders. And Jim Elliott decides, I want to go there and I want to preach the gospel to them. A young man just out of college. And he goes there for the purpose of reaching them, for teaching them about Jesus. And if you know the story, they, they ended up being killed. All of the people that went there and, and to preach, they all were killed by these, this tribe. They had uh, dropped off food for these folks. They were trying everything they could to reach out to them and say, hey, we're here to love you, we're here to help you. And yet they, they slaughtered them. These were young men that had their whole lives ahead of them. They were, many of them, newly married, and they lost it all in an effort to fish for men. And the amazing part of that story is, after these men has been, had been killed, their wives went back to that tribe and continued trying to reach them, the very people that killed their husbands. And God uh, used their love and forgiveness as a testimony that pierced the hearts of those natives and brought many to Christ. But I want to read for you a line from Jim Elliott's journal. Obviously, he wrote this before he died, before I think before he even went to Ecuador. He had been criticized by many for giving up his life. He, again, he was a college graduate. He was not some, some guy that had nothing to live for. And yet he was, he was choosing to give it all up in order to reach people in the jungles of Ecuador. And here was his response to this criticism. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And Jim Elliott gave up everything to be a fisher of men. And he understood that to be the wisest possible use of his life. It's not a foolish decision to let go of the fish and to become a fisher of men. Jesus says there's, there, there's many people who are trying to hold on to their life, and in the end, they lose it. That's most people. Jesus says whoever seeks to, to, to just hold on to his life loses it. And the one who loses their life for my sake, in the end, they find it. If you live for the here and now, you'll die, and it will all vanish. You live for... Uh, finances, you live for your career. None of that matters five seconds after you die. But if you instead live for eternity, though it may seem like a sacrifice now at the end of your life, you'll have something worth living for. So what were you made for? I'll give you a hint. It's not fishing. It's not working a job and making money. Those may be necessary parts of your life, but that's not ultimately what you were made to do. You weren't made for the purpose of making a living so you can exist and then die one day having accomplished a few things that don't matter. No, you were made for more. I'm not saying that, uh, let me just be clear, I'm not saying you need to go quit your job tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to go tomorrow to my job at a warehouse and work all night like I do every other day. I'm not quitting my job. God's not necessarily calling you to leave your vocation the way he did Peter. But you were made for a purpose and God has something for you to do. I don't know all of what God wants you to do, but it involves fishing for men. Being a follower of Christ is all about making disciples, bringing people to Christ, reaching people with the gospel, and then helping those who are saved to grow. So don't be content with a life of merely catching fish. You were made for more. And you might be wondering, how can I live this life of fishing for men and accomplishing something that matters? Uh, in some ways, it's easier for somebody like me, who I, I know the Lord's called me to ministry, if, but that's not God's will for everyone. In fact, that's not God's will for most people. Uh, most of you are, are perfectly in God's will working a secular job. So how is it uh, that we can accomplish what God wants us to in our lives? How can I accomplish God's calling on my life? Here's a few practical uh, suggestions for you to consider. Number one, reduce time wasters. Over and over in Scripture, we have mentions of, of things like redeeming the time. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's all about the brevity of life, how quickly your life is gone. James says, uh, life is like a vapor of water. It's there for a moment and then it disappears. And so don't waste the life that God's given to you. There's many time wasters uh, that each one of us may be involved in, things like video games, 
television, social media, these are huge time wasters. I'm not saying you should never do those things. But if they're taking up large portions of your life, you need to be aware of the fact that they are wasting your life. And we all have different things. I may have mentioned your specific time waster, or I may have not. So for me, you know, video games, I have no interest in video games. I don't get it at all. But I can very easily sit in front of a TV and watch a baseball game for three hours and, and completely waste time. So we all have different time wasters. And the, and the Bible instructs us to redeem the time, to not waste our lives. Again, I'm not saying that necessarily social media or, or television or whatever your time waster is, I'm not saying that that's necessarily uh, evil and you should never do it. Okay? I think there is value to, at times, resting and relaxing and being with family. I'm all for that. But I hope that's not the totality of your free time. I include myself in this. I, I can get sucked into time wasters just as easily as anybody else. But I realized when I was a teenager, I was thinking about my life, and I thought, if I waste enough hours and I waste enough years, I'll end up wasting my life because time is the stuff life is made of. And I think the devil deceives, deceives us into sort of separating that out. Like, you can waste time every day and not waste your life, and that's, that's just not the case. You were made for more. Again, I'm not saying I think it's necessarily a sin to watch a movie. I'm not saying it's a sin to sit down and relax. I don't think you need to never have fun. I have lots of fun. But don't let that be what you spend all your free time doing. Don't waste all your life fishing. Go fishing sometimes, but don't get caught up in that and forget the purpose and the work that God has called you to do. So number one, reduce time wasters. Number two, determine specific things of eternal significance that you should be doing and schedule them into your life. Okay, determine those eternally significant activities that you say, man, I really should be reading my Bible. I really should spend time in prayer. I really should be at church. I really should help uh, disciple other people and, and reach people for Christ. I want to do those things. But if you don't set a time for it, you likely won't do it. Uh, that which gets scheduled gets done. Schedule the activities you consider to be of most importance and prioritize them. Don't let other things crowd out the most important things in your life. I'm planning in the next couple of weeks at our church uh, to start us on a Bible reading plan. I haven't announced this yet, uh, but I want to get our church reading the Bible every day. This is a, a vitally important part of your spiritual walk. It's not just a, something you do on Sundays, not something we should be doing just at church, but in your living room every day, you ought to be in the Word. And if you don't have a plan of how you're going to do something, Satan will make sure you're distracted and kept from ever doing it. So number one, reduce time wasters. Number two, determine specific things of eternal significance that you should be doing and schedule them into your life. Number three, have project people. Uh, Jesus called Peter to be a fisher of men, and it's our commission as well. We are to make disciples. That's the primary reason that God leaves us here uh, after we're saved is to make disciples, to bring lost people to Christ, to show them how they can have their sins forgiven in a relationship with God, and then to help those who are saved to grow spiritually. And you may, be, um, you may already be doing this. I know some of you are, but I encourage everyone in our church, have a few names in mind of people that you're actively trying to share Christ with, a few Christians that you're trying to help grow. And it may be that that friend or neighbor or relative, they might not come to church the first time you invite them. Uh, they might not receive Christ. They might not even let you give them the gospel the first time you try to. But, but persistently seek to reach people for Christ. That's what being a fisher of men means. I think in Scripture of Barnabas, uh, Barnabas had a project person. His name was Paul. 
this guy that had just come to Christ and uh, everybody was kind of didn't know what to feel about him. Barnabas accepted him. He took him under his wing and he discipled Paul. And then Paul had some project people like Timothy, a pastor, a young man at, that he put at the church of Ephesus to pastor that church. He helped train Timothy. And then he tells Timothy, the way that I've trained you, go find some faithful men and train them also so that they can train others. That's what Christianity is supposed to be. We're all supposed to be seeking to disciple and make disciples of other people. Have project people and start with those closest to you, those that you have influence over. If you have kids, that's an easy one. Your, your primary mission field is going to be your children. You want to, you want to see them grow into Christ-likeness. If you have a, a spouse, you ought to be pushing them. You and your, your, your wife, your husband, doesn't matter. You ought to be pushing each other to be a better disciple of Christ. If you have friends, relatives, co-workers, neighbors, anyone you have influence over, you ought to be helping them and pushing them to know God. So number one, reduce time wasters. Number two, determine specific things of eternal significance you should be doing and schedule them into your life. Number three, have project people, people you're regularly working on, people you're praying for. And then number four, regularly assess your life, specifically how you're using your time, money, and influence. I think uh, it's a good idea every once in a while, maybe you do this at the end of the year, you know, look back on your life and say, okay, how did I do this year? Did I just waste a year or did I accomplish some good things? And for me personally, every time I do this, I, I am uh, ashamed of how little I accomplished in the previous year, but it compels me to try to do more the next year. Have you fallen into bad habits of wasting time and not intentionally focusing your attention on things that matter eternally? And that's, that's our natural tendency. Uh, you might say, okay, I'm going to cut out the time wasters. I'm going to uh, really reduce those and spend a lot of time in God's Word doing you know, X, Y, and Z, the things that I think are really important. And then over time, those things just sort of get pushed to the back burner. It's a natural tendency. We have a tendency to fall into those bad habits, and we have to fight against it. How are you doing with your time? What should you be spending more time doing and less time doing? Uh, what about your finances? Are you investing finances in things that won't matter five seconds after you die? Or are you laying up treasures in heaven where thieves can't steal it, where it won't decay, as Jesus said? How are you using your influence? Who do you have influence over that you could lead to Christ? Or is there somebody that maybe is a Christian that you have influence over that you could help grow to spiritual maturity? Regularly assess your life. Make sure you aren't so focused on necessary things that you neglect the most important things. Jesus had many followers. He had a whole crowd of them that day that were listening to him as he was teaching. But he was calling Peter and the other fishermen with him to be more than a follower. He was calling them to be a partner with him in the work he came to do. Uh, we're not called just to be followers, just to come and hear the word. We're called to be ministry partners with Christ. I want to end this morning just by pointing out what a privilege that is. This is, again, not a miserable life. Man, i got to sacrifice all my fun. No, Jesus was calling them to a far superior life. And Peter wasn't about to let this opportunity go. I think of in our text where Peter, initially, he falls down at Jesus' feet and he says, Depart from me. I'm a sinner, God. Uh, get away from me. I, I shouldn't even, I don't deserve to be in your presence. And Jesus says, Not only am I not going to depart from you, and not only am I willing to accept you, even though you're a sinful man, but beyond that, I mean, I'm calling you to be a ministry partner in my work. You're going to help me accomplish my mission. Isn't it amazing that God uses normal people like us to accomplish his work in the world? Flawed people like Peter, 
This is a pattern throughout Scripture. Again, again, Isaiah 6, like I mentioned earlier, Isaiah falls down as a dead man in front of, uh, of God when he sees him high and lifted up, and he says, Woe is me, I'm unclean. And then God says, I need somebody to bring a message to my people. And, I, and Isaiah responds, you know that famous text, Here am I, send me. I don't know if I'm qualified, I know I'm a sinner, I'm unclean, but if you're willing to use me, what a privilege that would be. God says to him, go, go send this message to my people. Revelation 1, again, uh, John falls at the, f- the feet of Jesus as a dead man. And then Jesus says, get up, John, don't be afraid, fear not. Go write this to some churches. I, I want to use you to write the book of Revelation. God can use us in spite of our sinfulness. We, we're, we're called to be representatives, to carry a message from God. What a miracle that God uses us to do his work. God didn't need Peter. God certainly didn't need Peter's boat. We know Jesus could walk on water. He does that in the Gospels. He could have just taken a step back as they're pressing in on him and walked right on the water. Uh, but he uses Peter. He chooses to use him. And, and, and the privilege is Peter's. It's going to cost Peter. He leaves behind his nets. He leaves behind his boat and his fish. Later on, he's going to lay down his life for Christ. Following Jesus will cost Peter everything. And yet the privilege is Peter's to be a part of Jesus' work. And he gladly leaves behind everything to become a fisher of men. For joy, he sells everything he has to gain the treasure of Christ. When he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. When they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they might come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. When they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Father, I pray that in the lives of each one of us, as I've been praying over these last several days, that you would do a work in us, do a work in me like you did in Peter. That you would lead us to see our sinfulness and break us down and make us amazed at the fact that you'll use us. Even though we're flawed, even though we're, we doubt you, you still choose to use us to be a partners in your work. And I pray that you would help each one of us to accept that calling to recognize that a life lived for you and for your glory is the only life we could live of eternal significance. Everything else vanishes when we die. Everything else doesn't matter after our life. But a life lived to the glory of God matters forever. Pray that you'd help us all to recognize that calling and respond obediently as Peter did, that we'd be willing to forsake all for the superior treasure of following you and knowing you. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.